0: They say marketing is a madman's game. So now we turn it over to the Marketing Madman with Trip Job and Darren Rand on Extra 1063 FM.
1: Happy Saturday. Welcome to the Marketing Madman. Trip Job here with the frequent co host, uh, Nick Constantino, who's the uh, VP of Sales and Business Development for 680 The Fan, the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. Uh, a couple other things I probably could throw in there as well. You know it. <laughs> it's always good to have Nick here. And uh, really uh, timely today because uh, there are a couple recent studies that came out. Um, first one we're going to talk about um, is LinkedIn, uh, and then there's also some studies about uh, CMOs talking about does data get in the way of creativity. So uh, I thought it was perfect that uh, Nick came in and uh, talked a little bit about his experiences and uh, you know what uh, what you guys are doing and what some of your clients are doing. So let's let's kick it off with LinkedIn, which obviously. You know, there's I still run across some businesses from time to time that don't have a LinkedIn presence. But for the most part, you know, uh, I think everyone realizes that's the business social media to be. For sure. Um, But uh, this was two weeks ago, uh, roughly, that, uh, you know, LinkedIn formally admitted that they'd updated their algorithms. And some, some of the reasons they updated the algorithms, just for everyone out there, is to, you know, people are starting to learn how to play the game. And it's all about engagement. So, you know, why does somebody show up a lot more than someone else? And why does some company's post show up? And, you know, it's about the type of engagement. And so uh, there are two things that they focused on to uh, try to take away the gamesmanship. One was what they call baiting posts, where you list in the either, either in the post itself or maybe in the comments 10, 12, I've seen 20, 25 names of people. You know, tagged in there. Yep. And so that uh, that creates that. That was one. And then the second one we'll get to in a minute um, was the use of polls. So, um, you know, give your perspective of uh, you know how algorithms change your view of LinkedIn, and uh, you know what uh, you know, what what you've seen over the last year.
2: Sure. So. Once Now that I've been involved in this process of a big media company that's playing the game on social media and Google, my perception has changed. The truth is is that LinkedIn is owned by Microsoft. Microsoft is now embedding LinkedIn and Outlook and Word. And the more you play in the Microsoft system, the more LinkedIn rewards you. So that's at the highest level. Okay, so yep. you know, ultimately, money, Microsoft is there to make money. And then LinkedIn okay. is one of the mechanisms to make money. You know, Apple, Google, Amazon, all of these guys have different business models as to how they make money. But Microsoft is a little bit of a hybrid. They have a big service division. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're starting to get their software division finally up and running. Uh, but ultimately, they want you to use Windows, Outlook, Word. They want you to use those services. So when you looked at LinkedIn, it is a professional environment but if you look, what I've seen the most of now are stories of overcoming adversity, okay? And, and it's, it's always somebody that survived cancer and overcame this and that seems to be what's getting the most engagement right now, okay?
1: Yeah, a lot of purpose driven.
2: Purpose driven, which, yeah. which is a fantastic thing, but you're walking a very fine line up to what's business, what's not, what's getting engagement. So when they change algorithms, it's usually because their key members are losing some sense of functionality or the people that are there. Ultimately, what LinkedIn and what these services want now is content. They want you to stay on LinkedIn, be engaged, stick with them, share posts. So they reward people who post content, compelling content often. And you know, if you're sharing and you're posting 25 people on it to ask an opinion, that's one thing. If you're asking people who are involved with your business and those algorithms know that they're connected to your business, that's a completely different thing there's complex programs going on, marketing plans. You know, there might be twenty people involved in a program. I know Truist Bank has four hundred and thirty seven marketing directors. Yeah. What if you worked with twenty of them to build a program? You should have every right to thank them, but they are doing it as a bait and switch to show up in as many feeds as possible. And I think, you know, when they say that they change the algorithms, it's it's either to make their key users stay and stay sticky, or the ultimate one we know the truth, is to make more money. And what happens is I'll give you guys a great quick example. It it really irritated me. I've since taken it down, but there was a company I saw out there whose only job was to erase negative reviews for companies. Okay? So- First of all, my big problem with that has nothing to do with the marketing side of it. I know that stuff happens all the time, but you're actually taking the power out of a consumer's hands, which I believe is very bad for everything. And I believe that ultimately- It, it is
1: a very fine line, and I don't, I think one that backfires more often than not. And, and the
2: service, they were promoted on LinkedIn. They were advertising that. And I wrote back and said, this is the problem with the world. This is taking the power out of consumers' hands. This is fake. You're creating a fake identity for your company. Reviews are going to be worthless. They are almost already are. Okay, usually if I put a post on, I get, you know, 1,200 to 6,000 views. I get likes, I get reshares, I got comments. I got 10 total views because it was a promoted post on LinkedIn and the algorithms catch negativity about something that someone's paying for. That's a problem. And now to the most layman's, they're not going to realize that that's going on. I'm so embedded in the platform for work and what I do that I caught it quickly. But that's the problem. And that's the thing we have to look out for. And that's what LinkedIn has to walk a fine line between what Facebook and Twitter do. Speaking of Twitter, 25% fake bots, they say at a minimum, the SEC is going to finally come after them. Um, But that between that, that money making machine and that real beneficial social media platform to business.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, a couple things you can take away from that if your business is you know, using LinkedIn or trying to figure out, uh, you know, do I need to change because of these algorithms? I think, you know, one of the things Nick said it's so important is, do you have real compelling content? If you're doing that and you're doing it routinely, and by routinely I mean, you know, two to five times a week, not posting two to five times a day because in that case you're, you're shooting over, yourself over in the board. foot because yeah. basically your next post starts to you know, create the diminishing returns on your previous post. For sure. It doesn't completely override it, but it definitely starts to uh, to wane. Um, but as long as you're consistent out there, um, you know, whether or not, you know, I I wouldn't put these huge tactics where you're trying to bait people and, and put twenty names. Now look to your to Nick's point, you got five or ten people and you want to create engagement occasionally, absolutely use that.
2: Especially if they do business with you. If I put five teammates and five clients on a post that LinkedIn knows we work together. You guys have no idea how much data, if you've seen the back end, how much it ties together. That's not going to penalize you. If you start posting people from all over the country that you met twice or that you are friends with. Or your second or
1: third level. You know, Well, third level, it's even hard to to, to tag them. But second level, you can.
2: Yeah, you're opening yourself up for, for the negative part of those algorithms.
1: Right. So, you know, A, keep, keep posting, keep having a consistent plan, number one. Uh, the second part is polls. And that was kind of the one that they're yeah. really trying because polls, you know, are one of those things that kind of drive up engagement. And what it's saying is, look, if you do polls once or twice a month, don't stop. There were people who were starting to post polls almost every day. Yeah, And that was purely to try to get, you know, all-star status, those type of things. And that's where they're trying to cut down.
2: Yeah, and and I've, I've seen really good polls and really bad polls. I've posted a couple. I like polls. You know, I'm always trying to put in one, um, you know, when I did when, when George was in the national championship yeah. versus Alabama, things like that. A couple of jokes in you don't care because a yeah. lot of the country doesn't even know SEC football exists. Um, but you see people that are like, who's going to win tonight? The Celtics or the Bucks?" And it's like. That is not a business post whatsoever. Uh, again, it is a fine line. Like the, the most engagement I ever got, we, we we got called onto the field to get World Series rings. Mm-hmm. And so for context, no media company has ever gotten them. And I'm talking real World Series ring, like, because I had to get it insured and it was a real World Series <laughs> ring. But Derek Schiller handed me one down on the field. I did this quick video of me showing the ring with the background. There was no business connotation other than I have a business relationship with the Braves. This is cool. It got... I think 28,000, 30,000 views, 250 likes, reshares all over the place. Yeah. So that is not necessarily a business post in the pure sense, but I was awarded something through a business relationship, which makes that a good post to do. If you can find that way to, to merge what people enjoy and the business side of it, some businesses are easier than do others. Sports happens to be an easy one that's where you're going to succeed.
1: Absolutely. And, and to your point, you know, uh, it's been a month or more now, but, you know, I moderated a panel for the Urban Ag Council. Cool. And so, you know, it's really just it was a post with pictures of the other panelists thanking them and, you know, talk, you know, just briefly saying, you know, here, this was sponsored by the Urban Ag Council. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about business, but it was just, hey, we've got thought leaders that all came together, et cetera. And very similarly, the number of reshares, the I don't know 10,000 whatever views and things like that. I mean it's just those type of things can be incredibly powerful. Um, mixed in with sure. your thought leadership other yeah. times.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a good word. I think thought leader, I think we all fall victim of resharing articles and, and, and that stuff, but that's not helping anybody. Yeah. If you're going to share an article, you need a good two paragraphs to frame your viewpoint on that article or why you agree or why you disagree or actually better, you know, copy the best points, quote who wrote oh. the article, but make it your own post. It, it's no different than and then website. You know, if, if you're just posting other people's stuff to your website, Google penalizes you because you're not a thought leader. If you start putting AP posts, that AP post is everywhere. Why would they reward you? So be a thought leader, but be smart with how you do it. And ultimately, what people have to understand, it takes time. But once you put the time in, the rewards multiply quickly. And if you have a dedicated, I'm going to put, I like creating uh, content calendars. So I'm going to post these things, these times, stay on path, ask for help when you need it, reshare, polls, videos, rotate through those things, and you will be shocked about a year and a year and a half into it, how quickly the engagement goes through the roof and how quickly people start seeing your content.
1: Yeah, I can't agree more. It's it's having that, you know, for us, we typically plan three days a week and there's certain days we do certain things. Um, you know, it will change if something pops up that is really timely. But having that, A, it makes it easier on yourself, and B, that consistency, people are looking for it. So um, fantastic. You know, the one last thing before we close this part out is, and you mentioned uh, they also have said that basically political posts are starting to get not uh, censored out, but they're starting to ask the question of, hey, do you want this in your feed? So at least here's the one positive thing of AI you know they're seeing things that are on the fence yeah and they're asking you and you can basically say no I don't want to see this and the AI will start pulling those things away from your feed
2: yeah and it's a good thing because if, when you start getting politics involved it jades the actual business that's trying to be done uh, you know inflation is not caused by wokeness like th- there's just th- <laughs> there's just at some point we have to draw the line like you're trying to ask what are micro and macro causes that are affecting the business community and saying woke is broke is not going to help anybody accomplish any sort of goal Goal whatsoever, uh, and you know the the same side is having the other side sit there and say, "Oh, more empowered, privileged white men running business." That's not helping anything either. Yeah. That's not helping the climate of business. Business is about putting out services that people want. The ones that succeed are the ones that do the best job of it. Let's okay. avoid that stuff to stick with just that. Please. Absolutely. So,
1: all right, great uh, discussion on LinkedIn. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about uh, data and uh, how that relates to what CMOs are trying to do and think. And you've been listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. We'll be right back.
0: Now back to the Marketing Madmen on Extra 106.3 FM.
1: Welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job here with Nick Constantino, uh, VP of Sales and Business Development for the Six Eighty Fan and the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. Um, we were talking about LinkedIn on the first uh, segment, and during the break, we were chatting. I think it's a good little tip we can put out. Um, but you know, if you have, and, and in our case, um, you know, I have about 3,000 followers our business page Rand Inc uh, we're about 300 which we can talk a little bit about how you can can grow that. Uh, I know you see the same thing Nick yeah um, So when we put out thought leadership, um, I typically post it from my personal page first. I'll tag you know Rand and we can reshare we don't reshare everything um, but we reshare certain things. Um, but it's really understanding that, you know, in many cases, there is a greater engagement with an individual and, you know, start there. Yeah. Mention and tag your company. And then if it's appropriate, you can reshare it.
2: Yeah. And I think it's also talking third person versus first person. Yeah. Um, it's hard to speak on behalf of the business. Right. It's hard to say we versus I, and, but that's, that's really the trick because they need to know, they don't want to know that you're writing the same post. They want to know that this is, you're speaking on behalf of a company, which is hard to do. Uh, but ultimately it's what's going to differentiate. So that's how I recommend doing it. And I think it's fine to share your work page on your personal and your personal on your work. Um, but really the, the best advice I can give is get your employees on it, have them all be members of the page and have them reshare and amplify as quickly as possible. Cause one of the other things about LinkedIn, timeliness is very important. Um, it gets its most views if you've ever looked at a graph, right when it's posted. And it, it, sometimes it'll get that last spike somewhere else, but usually it's a diminishing return. Right. So when you share, there's a button on there that says alert your colleagues. So make sure they're all on it with you. Even if they have 20 followers, you'd be surprised what 100 people with 20 followers, how fast it multiplies. So use those tools yeah. to your advantage. But again, don't let it be a time suck. Have a system in place where maybe you email the whole staff and say, here's the link to the post, please reshare. Get it out there. That's how it's going to help the quickest.
1: And you know, so one of the things you can do too um, with administrators on your company, Page, you can invite people now to follow your company page. The more followers you get, the more you can yes. um, invite per month. I will tell you how I look at it, and it can say whether I'm crazy or not. But um, so I know the people who routinely follow my individual post. So when I go out to add people to our company to the Rand Inc page, I don't invite those people. They're already following. I don't want them sure. to f- that. But I look at people in my network that I, you know, are probably even more business related or could be sure. prospects. Those are the people that may not see my individual post as often. I want them sure. to see the Rand Inc. page. So those are the people. Every month I go on and invite. I don't always use the full allotment. Sure, but I go on and invite people. Um, That way, I I don't – it's not to drive the numbers up. It's to drive the people I want to see it. And if someone's already seen my individual post, I don't want to muck up their uh, inbox, so to speak.
2: Yeah, so one of the hard things we had to do, but we we luckily caught it early, was – how do we differentiate a sales page from a radio page? Because Mm -hmm. maybe people wanna follow the radio page, right? So the company's name is Dickey Broadcasting Company, so we decided early to differentiate the individual stations with the company and use the company solely as a sales platform. So the good thing we did, and when you just mentioned administrators, it scared me a little because- you know, I got 12 sales guys with different levels of computer literacy. I, I don't need them touching buttons. Uh, just like I say with Google Analytics, one guy in particular on this team will find a way to completely destroy my <laughs> 10 years of Google Analytics without a question. So, so, but yeah, I, I agree with that. I think finding those duplication groups, you wanna know people who follow your page, who's like them that aren't following you, mm. then use the company to lead with it uh, because they, they share common interests, common goals, common uh, positions in companies, geography, all that stuff um, so I think that's a very powerful tool but again you know I don't know if the chip was trying to set up the segue but that's the segue into the general marketing conversations yeah. you have to understand who the consumer is and find those pockets of consumers elsewhere and if you can set that your business up to do that uh, you know you may not be a large cap stock but you'll grow pretty quickly with scale if you understand duplication du- duplication in audiences
1: Absolutely. well and it is it is a perfect segue to this next uh, study about data. I'm not going to give him credit for that. He didn't do that on purpose, by the way. Sometimes, you know, what does it say? I love it when a plan comes together, right? The (laughs) A-team. So, um, Darren, you hear that? The A-team's here today. So uh, we miss you, bud. But So this study said that uh, CMOs are saying data is starting to get in the way of creativity. And it basically said that... uh, 42% you know, 42% of CMOs say data hinders creativity, while 41% say it helps. So, an even split. The other, the other 17% are clueless and probably out looking for a job.
2: Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, I'm if you gonna, don't have an opinion.
1: I'm going to bet if they went a little deeper
2: that there's a generational gap in these conversations. Yeah. And if you plotted those people on generation charts, I think that the evidence would be pretty clear as to who's saying what, if I'm being yeah. honest.
1: Yeah, so um, I mean, it's I just I, I laugh at some of it, but here we'll go in a little deeper. So the biggest barriers to getting value from data: culture, forty-three percent; technology, thirty-eight; and people, nineteen percent. Um, okay, yeah, to your point, culture, people. Um, look, we can all and and people use it as excuse, you know, analysis by paralysis, um, but data in and of itself. Does not stimulate or hurt creativity. You know, it gives you um, the ability to go do things and make decisions. It's then how you look at it, how you analyze yeah.
2: it. Yeah. Yeah. I, look, well, I was told a long time ago um, by a gentleman who's hot, really high up now in a company that I've pretty much lost respect for. So I don't need to go into too much detail yeah. about it. Uh, but there is a certain skill set. Uh, that that you could have, and that in this world of being creative and analytical. Um, you know, People are either left brain or right brain, yellow or blue. It can depends on whose survey you're looking at or whose test you're looking at. But the balance between analytics and creativity is not one that happens common and often. Yeah. So if you can strike that balance, obviously your chances of succeeding at reading the data to be creative are there. Um, but I think this speaks on behalf of also the diminished role of CMOs. Yeah. Uh, and if you look, what happened was a CMO used to be the guy that just had such a gut feel about the brand that he was able to think of creative ways to tie together a message, an image, and even a, a 10-year down-the-road plan. I think as we downgrade the value of a CMO, a lot of it because of data, a lot of it because you know just the way corporate entities have changed, I think that, that you lean more on data, and I think brands lose identity pretty quickly when you are too much relying on data. And I think that's the ultimate message is yeah. you cannot relay the identity of what you choose by looking at data. And I think that's where that creativity comes into play and – you know for example you know on the the highest level of companies we deal with if you look right now the CMO position is turning over so frequently.
1: Oh, it's faster than ever because that study just came out as well. It's, so. a, it's
2: amazing to watch. And But what's increasing is the reliance and the, the merging of all these agencies who what you think you're happening is you're paying an agency to be your CMO, right? But that agency has their own intentions, their own business agenda, their own other clients, their own other things that they are operating on behalf mm-hmm. of. So without that one person who can tie together all the other stuff You're in big trouble. The bigger you are, the more diverse your web is.
1: And I I was, before the CMO title became popular, I mean, it was VP of marketing when I was in it, but you're an orchestra leader. I mean, that's truly what you are doing more often than not. You're, you know, bringing all parts of the organization, both your marketing team and then other parts of the organization, sales and maybe operations, depending on what type of company you're in, and you're bringing them all together to play that symphony, yeah. you know, and, you know, where you want to go and how do you want to bring in, when when do you bring in the brass section? When do you bring oh, in the I, I percussion, etc.? When's cetera. the
2: falsetto? When do we end it? When do we start? I I, can, I, I I like the analogy, and I think also that when you look at it Completely holistically, that's one of the problems is we've become so reliant on sales and operations that we don't understand that marketing is supposed to feed the funnel to create the sales and operations, not the opposite way. You're not supposed to sell something and then market. You're supposed to market something okay. and then sell it. And we, the, the, every time in your head you view marketing as an expense, yep. you are hurting your business because marketing is not an expense; marketing is a necessary function of business.
1: Yeah, I think it was last month in our um, monthly newsletter and report, we uh, shared an article about strategy 4.0. and getting back to the full omni-channel end to end and putting strategy. You know, and yeah. we've gone from and I think you know where uh, Nick was talking about was. Back in the day, you know, when I started 1.0, it was about creativity and advertising. Okay, back in the, you know, Coca-Cola, we are the world, and and, and stuff like that. I mean, that's, um, you know, I like to teach the world to sing. I guess that would have been back in the 1.0. Um, it was advertising, and then you got into, you know, a case of um, where we started to see a little more in the digital world, and then we got, you know, overdrawn probably into digital and multi channels, and now we're having to come back and pull strategy again to it. Yeah. And uh, I think that's really where you need to have that holistic view. And look, you've got to have data as part of it. Yeah. And the creativity you talked about, it can still be there, but in 1.0 and 2.0 timeframes – um, that's all it was. It was that person who could sell that story. For sure. To, to not only internally, but to externally.
2: Yeah. And internal is as exter- as important as external, because you got to make that board of directors or that CEO or that president understand that vision to give you that budget to make that happen. And that is not always easy. You know, one of the things, so, uh, you know, for context, we have had Google Analytics now on our streaming player for five years. Uh, and I know that because I printed the report today that we're going to present in a meeting. Um, you're talking three million users of a sample size. Okay. Okay, wow. so uh, you know it's not one hundred million, but it's not the eight hundred that Nielsen gives us. So one thing that kept popping up was fast food, and I am sitting there, and everyone fights it. They're like, "No, no one buys fast food on your that's not what these guys do," and it is now in the top ten in market segment in affinity reports is fast food. Wow. So a couple of different things at play here, right? Most most of the people that deal with the, that our station are really busy. They're yeah. driving all over the place. They are listeners. They're they're white collar home improvement guys and plumbers and business owners. Those guys don't have time to sit down and have a meal. Those guys don't have – they're not making themselves a sandwich. They're starving for their job. So they go out and eat fast food. They just don't tell their buddies that they're eating fast food. They might not be public about it. So when we started putting this piece together, that changes the dynamic of the story in which we're telling. This is not run away from fast food. This is talk about what Taco Bell is coming out with their new taco because we found all of a sudden now it's driving engagement. And people respond to that on social media faster. So – so that's where analytics and data can drive a creative conversation.
1: Absolutely, and it's so important. So, um, uh, just went out was this month's Rand report, and we talked about how do you know you might have a brand problem from quantitative metrics. And one of the things uh, we'll get Nick's opinion here, but um, to your point, we can go real, real deep on data or. What we see sometimes is people get superficial, especially when they say data gets in the way of creativity. They don't dive to where uh, Nick was just talking. So I'll start with website. So one of the things that, you know, everyone looks at, okay, what are my total visitors and my unique visitors? And a lot of times when people are more hesitant about data, that's all they want to look at. And the challenge is, uh, just like this whole fast food, you can can sell a story that way and you can pump, much like the LinkedIn discussion earlier – I can pump visitors up because I can run a promo or I can put something fun out there of, you know, come to our website and see, you know, a picture of Nick Jonas or what you know whatever. I can I can pump visitors up, yeah, right? What we say though is that doesn't really tell you what's going on with your brand. That is one part of it, but what about um, your bounce rate? What about time on average time on site? Because I could be up 10% over a 3-month period in my visitors, my bounce rate could be you know um, negative. Let's just call it. Yeah. People are, are only seeing 60, one page, percent above, versus you know being in the forties. Yep. You know, so that would be negative. And my average time might have gone from two minutes down to a minute forty. Yep. Who cares that I had more users? They didn't want to to look at our page. Yeah, and some of those correlations are going to happen
2: all the time, right? Ultimately, the more users you get to anything, the less the time spent listening is going to be. It happens on radio. It happens with every medium because they're new people to the brand. They're not going to fall in love right away. It's going to take time. Um, But you're right. It is a fine dance. And the best way I can give kind of – context to a business owner is, you know, one of the things about our radio station and the leads we drive, and and a lot of times when we do our CNAs and we talk to business owners, it's like, what do you want to be accomplished? Like, I want calls. And I'm like, okay, well, let's set up a scenario. What if you got 60 calls and one person closed? Do you really want calls or do you want closed deals? Because if if you got 12 calls and 10 closed, you know what happened? You didn't get 59 bad calls. They didn't waste your secretary, your receptionist, your sales guys. They didn't waste their time. So when we frame it that way and then they start thinking, what when they start their campaign with that in the back of their head, that's what they're watching out for and that's what we deliver. So it's the same way with the website. Though I love
1: this because okay, so Nick has not read uh, the article yet. We just published in the Rand Report, but that's the second part of it. Um, and look, if if you guys it's free, you can uh, find it uh, us on LinkedIn at Rand Inc. Or you can go out to Rand Inc. If he's saying the
2: same stuff I am now, you have to read it because yeah. now you know it's good.
1: So uh, to your point on uh, leads, a lot <laughs> yeah. of a lot of marketing departments all they will look at is the number of leads, which is uh, that's a disaster. I've seen all types of ways to to you know game that system. But then people will go at cost per leads, right? And again, people will throw out, hey, I'll get you in two thousand extra leads and only another fifty dollar whatever, It drives the cost down. Oh, isn't that great? Well, not if it's wasted. So we really drive and and make sure companies are looking at cost per opportunity. Yep. And cost per deal. And the reason we look at both is, um, you know, you might have a good cost per opportunity. I mean, because you're getting the right opportunities to what Nick was talking about, not just all these wasted leads. But let's say your cost per deal actually doesn't look good. And maybe it's because you're not closing a lot of those opportunities. Maybe your ratio goes down. It's not the leads are bad. That might tell you you've got a product issue, a price issue, or a sales issue. Person issue, yeah. and so that's why we we try to track both because sometimes and we have seen it. Uh, one in one case, it was a timing type of thing. How quickly were you know the sales teams really jumping on the opportunities? Yeah, and the opportunities were there, but they were letting it uh, linger sixty days. And guess what? Then the deal ratio to close oh at sixty days compared to thirty days. Was night and day
2: yeah and that now you're talking about CRM and marketing systems talking to each other which I think you know man corporations have been doing big 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 business have been doing it for a while but especially with you know home improvement companies and direct consumer brands if your CRM system and your analytics program are speaking to each other just put it this way the bigger your sample size and the more layers of data you have that are tuned to your business the more accurate and reliable that data will be because now you're taking external factors like your employees and how they react and including it with computer driven algorithms to paint a picture of your business. So, you know, I say that as a company we don't have those. I've been trying to implement yeah. them for years and I found out we are well ahead of where I thought we were and other businesses were, but I've seen companies that are plotting CRM versus versus Google Analytics on Tableau and they're sitting there watching this graphical representation of who their audience is and, you know, Like you said, that's a great thing because you know who the person is, but that doesn't mean you know how to reach that person or differentiate your product. The person I'm speaking of right now has a product that is the same as everybody else's. It's a credit union, and honestly, all they have, if they're going to be that way, is their rate. And if your rate is lower than everybody else, your profit margins are lower, and they don't profit, but your margins are lower than everybody else, as opposed to building trust, being a part of the community, being someone reliable, being someone that people know of when they think about it. So- That's a case of those data and those analytics working, but also hurting you because now you're blinded to what your brand mission is.
1: Right. No, absolutely. So with this article, um, this kind of ties into your point. Um, So the CMOs did kind of, you know, realize that, hey, um, they really pray need, in in many cases, they say a member that is in charge of marketing operations, which is kind of what you're talking about. Now, I will say a lot of these are probably larger companies, all right? So let's go into the mid-market and smaller companies. Um, You know, you probably don't have someone just devoted to handling your marketing operations. But, um, you know, here it said that, uh, you know, 12% have had someone in this role for over a year. Uh, 33% said we added the role in the last year. Uh, Another 28% said we're we're currently hiring. Um, 20% said we're considering hiring. Only 7% said they don't need this. But um, you know what I will say to many companies, if you're not a Fortune 1000 that may have uh, you know enough of a marketing staff, is this is where I think you can bring in an outside firm. And they're the ones that, and part of the reason to do this versus maybe just having your email marketer do it, or just having your person who does SEO, is when you're looking at this, to Nick's earlier point, you need to bring all parts of it together you know, you don't don't want to buy us. Don't even get me started here. here. You know, the email marketer running your, you know, marketing operations because it needs to work in sync. It's not, you know, make my, my tactics look good and someone else's not as good.
2: Yeah. And it happens way too often nowadays where these agencies, they're, they're, they're so driven by their own model that they don't understand somebody else's. Uh, What I do see a lot of, and I think we use this as a tool, and I think it's starting to come into the spotlight more. There is a difference between sales and business development. Um, uh-huh. My title says business development. I'm much more involved in the marketing and the back end stuff, which means I have to think with both hats as yep. to where a sales director should not have to. A sales director' fundamental only job is to drive revenue with the tools they are given. And close. Yeah. And close. Yeah. So there is a big difference. So, you know, my title doesn't say director of business development and marketing. But if you look at the skill set I have and what I'm doing, I'm intertwining those things because ultimately we have to market our sales organization also. So there's more more overlap there. So I think if you're a company and you're really thinking about doing this in-house if you have a business development person whose job is to think long-term, whose job is to drive revenue, but more with a long-term view, use that person. Now in the most honest sense, most people don't have that person. They don't grow on trees to be able to do that. So when you can find somebody who can be that hybrid role, who can tie your sales department to your marketing department, and I will say from, from the experience of every time I've been in media, it is an impossible goal for our personal company to do that. The, the, the what, what they're trying to accomplish, what a programming and marketing team is trying to accomplish with a listener is so different what we're trying to accomplish from sales and they flow into each other, but you're going to always butt heads. And when I right. talk butt heads, I'm talking nuclear almost fist bites <laughs> in the middle of our conference room <laughs> at tailgates and events few, yeah. because I've been involved in half of them and yeah. and luckily we're a tight-knit group and we joke about it afterwards, but you know you can't have your director of sales making marketing decisions and you can't have your director of marketing making sales decisions. So that liaison becomes unbelievably important and and like Tripp said, that also can't be your CEO, your president because the president's thinking about public relations and if the company's going to stay afloat in finance.
1: And the CEO really ought to be thinking, you know, a year and more down the line. Right. And so uh, these type of things, a lot of them are, are the things that you're you're the day to day interactions that have to happen. Not that you're not thinking longer term, but no, I uh, completely agree. So, you know, I think, um, you know, to kind of we got a couple minutes left. But to wrap up, you know, this idea of data and creativity, I think that um, if if you're a business leader and you hear that from whether it's your marketing person or whether it's your sales leader, I would say that um, there's a bigger issue at hand. Um, look, don't, yeah, don't have analysis by paralysis. I love the um, uh, Colin Powell quote for many, many years. He said, look, I have learned that I have to get 60 to 75 percent of the available information and at that point I make a decision. I'm not gonna wait any longer. I have enough to make an informed decision for his troops, his men, the you know, the businesses he led, et cetera, uh, at that point. I'm not gonna make it, you know, with less than half the information. Yeah. But I'm not gonna wait till I get eighty, ninety percent, because at that point things are gonna change and that information is um, maybe is not as valid as it was. Yeah.
2: Yeah, if, if I had to give some last minute advice, I would just say two quick things. Um, one is is that it's easy to throw data around very quickly and fancy and point to things and kind of sleight a hand confuse a business owner if they don't understand it. Because um, I've done it before, unfortunately. Um, I've seen myself doing it before. <laughs> uh, the other thing is is that there's no reason you can't go and learn how Google Analytics works and how data works. There's so much free stuff out there. If you can challenge somebody, because I, I joke with my sales staff, I'm like, guys, uh, you can throw this data around all you want if you say one thing wrong it'll be fine if someone doesn't know but if they know you're dead they're gonna catch you go back
1: go back to linkedin there's educational classes out there you can learn about google there and in other places so um great discussion we'll be back in a few minutes and uh we'll uh, have our last uh session you're listening to uh the marketing Madmen on extra 106.3 and we'll be right back
0: now back to the marketing Madmen on extra 106.3 fm
1: Welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men, Trip Job with Rand Inc. here with Nick Constantino of um, 680 The Fan and the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. Um, so timely you know, information that's just obviously hit this week, also about social media, and I'll let let Nick kind of break uh, the story, and then we'll dive in for a few minutes on uh, what are the implications here.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, earlier this week we've seen the saga of Elon Musk and buying Twitter, and, you know, what I think personally about one person owning that much data, we'll put that aside, and we'll talk about the fact that uh, he has challenged the SEC to come out and do a deep dive into just how many Twitter followers are fake, okay? Now the estimates I'm seeing are 25 to 30%, okay? If the SEC gets involved here, there's a lot of problems, but there's also a lot of good. What if 30% of those users are fake? What if not only are you being told that when you advertise your business, you're reaching 30% more people, but also you're getting data on fake people? What right. does that do to the nature of how you do business? What does that do to your social media advertising? What does it do to your follower base? What does it do to your ability to speak to yeah. customers if 30% of them If you have personas,
1: exist? and uh, you know, maybe it's not even 30, maybe the way the bots work, you know, 50% of your personas are fake, fake people.
2: And those people are being served an advertising message in which you're paying for. What if those bots are clicking? Now you're paying $6 per click for somebody who doesn't exist for an algorithm that's set up. I think when they dive into this, I think that they're gonna see, you're, you're gonna go Facebook, then you're gonna, I mean, sorry, you're gonna go Twitter, then you're gonna go Meta, then you're gonna go Instagram. What happens when this gets to TikTok? TikTok, I've seen 50 million followers. I go, there's not even 50 million people in your target <laughs> demographic. That just when you start getting into these things, and it's one of the problems. I mean, I'll be honest with you. You know, Z- Zuckerberg. I mean, the guy's a weasel. You look at him, and you just tell. But at the same time, he, he said he looked straight at the straight at the senators, and he said regulated. I'm doing the parameters in which you set to run a business like all of Americans do. If you have a problem, regulate it. The problem is, is that these 94-year-old senators don't understand the concept of what's going on, don't know how to use it, let alone regulate it. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen when they found out that Donald Trump was tweeting to 50 million people if 25 million of them were fake? And now all of a sudden those fake things were leading misinformation. And what's going to happen if they found out that Russia had a contingency of a million people that were fake created? And you're just opening yourself up. And and why I say this is one of the big problems. It's a good thing and a bad thing for an industry like radio. We are so regulated. I mean, the FCC, we have a charter to do to work in the public's good. Have you ever heard of a website that has a public charter to do yeah. good for anybody? No, they don't exist. Anyone that tells you that, what? go look at the back end see. Other than maybe Wikipedia, which to this day I've still not been able to find a flaw in how they do business. I really think they're trying to serve the public good. Yep. Go find, Go find one company who's not trying to make money. I only say that because without that level of regulation, you are in the Wild West, and we are still figuring this stuff out. And the SEC look into this is going to reveal some very interesting stuff that's going to pave the path moving forward. Which,
1: so, which it needs to. So, so how do how do we bring this to business owners? So here's my take um, on this. Keep, it, keep abreast this, of it. Keep watching it, for keep sure. Keep watching it, but- um, Depending on your business, and I say many, many times, Nick's heard me say this. I can't stand TikTok, but I say if you are a fashion brand, a cosmetic brand, something that you know the the demographics are highly teen purchases, and okay, and I'm I'm really targeting, super targeting now, then great, you know TikTok makes sense for you. Otherwise, yep. forget it. Um, but where my main point on all this is. I'm going to say 90% of the companies, um, you really don't need to be doing paid social, right? Um, I mean, there's reasons. If you're big enough, maybe you do a little bit of paid social. But back to our early discussion, having strong content, being on various social media platforms makes sense if your uh, audience is out there. Um, but because there's so much fraud and things like that, unless you're driving, maybe you are a you know, a restaurant or a food company or something like that or a clothing company, okay, maybe you need to do a little bit of paid social, but be careful, all right? Yeah. And don't overdo it because, uh, and, and if you are doing it, then going back to our early discussion on data, you need to be mining that data and For understanding sure. that data.
2: For sure. What What I will add there is, it's, it's about that reflection and that, that self-evaluation. What are you trying to accomplish with your business? Okay. I ask people when in meetings, I say, look, what is the intention of this business? Are you gonna make the, a ton of money? instant gratification and sell it, or you try to build a brand to hand down to your kids. If you are in the business of making a quick couple of million, if you bought a, if you started a COVID testing company and your intention is, you know, it's not going to exist in 10 years, go on social media, all you possibly get as much of it as you can. It is relevant, topical, quick. It also serves that instant gratification generation. If you are running a company, which you intend to be around a couple of years and sell it, my goodness gracious, there is no medium easier to use as a one man band than using social, Media advertise. If you're trying to build a brand to hand to your kids, it has been proven time and time again that social media creates flash in the pan businesses yes. that succeed for a little while and then struggle in the long run. Just look at Carvana. Look at some of these businesses that built their brands and all this digital advertising. They're falling off the face of the earth now because the business climate has changed. The ones that are still around and eventually they go back to. TV, radio, mass media, traditional brands, regulated in their not in their infancy stage of business. So know the kind of business you're trying to run. Use the tools in which are there for you, but don't be sold by
1: somebody else. Yeah, music to my ears. And and you know the other side to that is, um, I will agree. And we we're using the the big term social media. Understand where to play. All right, and you know. I'm not one to jump into all the new fads. Um, we were talking in the break before this about uh, Clubhouse. So a year and a half ago <coughs> um, a year and a half ago, Clubhouse was the big thing. I mean I had multiple people inviting me. you know, you need to be on this platform, et cetera. And where's Clubhouse today? All right? I'm not saying it was bad, but there are people invested and um, you know, why? What did you get from it? And should you have been an early adopter?
2: yeah I think the thing about Clubhouse was it gave people a voice again. how How do we really know that there were three hundred people in those rooms? How do we know you were talking to nobody and you just got yourself to hear yourself talk that you just you just don't know enough. there's not enough there's not enough transparency in these brands to know what's really going on. And look, everybody, everybody wants to be on their soapbox. I understand it. I'm sitting on mine right now talking on a radio show. I enjoy it. But what I'm saying to you is, is you'd rather talk to a hundred people that yeah. you know are listening and will engage than a million people that are bots or fake or there just to kind of hear the background noise.
1: Absolutely, and um, you know, so really think about it. Think about where you take your your message, um, as Nick said, what you want to accomplish, and you know what, if you're not sure, pick one or two. alright Don't don't try to be all things to all people. We, you know, on social you know, actually we're going through this with a client right now where we're doing their whole, you know, pipeline and their stream and we have categories and we've got, you know, the digital sponsorships, we've got email, we've got social media, we've got cable TV, All right? So it's only one part of what you're doing. It's not everything.
2: Yeah, and I'm going to say I apply a lot of Warren Buffett principles to investing, to marketing. If you don't understand the medium and are not on the medium – please don't invest all your money in it. If you do not understand how to engage with Instagram, for example, don't spend all your money there. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying don't spend all your money there. Because your wife or husband uses it to buy goods doesn't mean that you should be throwing (laughs) all of your money into something you don't understand because that is the easiest thing to be tricked on. I think one of the reasons TV has done so well even with connected TV what it is, it's because everybody watches TV so everybody understands the basic premise of how it works. Stick to Uh, things you know and you understand. I
1: I had, and we'll wrap it up with this, I had a battle with the last president I worked for about, well my wife's on Pinterest all the time. Why aren't we on Pinterest? I'm like, because that doesn't do our brand any good. I mean, it just, you know, it made no sense. There wasn't anywhere we sold through distributors. So it just, it it was a waste of our resources is what it was. You know, it's not that Pinterest was bad. It just was a waste of resources. And Pinterest salesperson
2: would have known that. The second they, their eyes would have lit yeah. up, the second you approached about a call, oh, my goodness, to go yeah. do that. They yeah. are taking candy from a baby in that situation. Yeah.
1: So, Nick, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to have you join us. Uh, Nick Constantino with the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. And uh, you've been listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk next week
0: Wade Ford, we are Atlanta's Ford dealer. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just
1: breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move, there's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing, or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today
2: at Camp com.